We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Good evening, everyone. It's good to see you. I can't help but think every time they play that video, this is uh, Israel going back and God giving them another opportunity to return to the land and to start over in many ways. And I can't help but think, don't we have to do that in our lives too? We have to return sometimes to go back where God had uh, brought us from and to remind us and to think again about the things of God's goodness. He calls us to restore to rebuild. And so maybe you're here tonight and, and you say, well, you know, that's, that would happen a long time ago in the life of Israel, but applies to me here today. I just don't want you to feel lonely uh, because it applies to me also. And I I'm, uh, just ask you to, to, to be looking forward to that in your life and what God will do. God's working mightily in this time in Israel's life. We've gone through the book of Ezra. We're in Nehemiah chapter 9. If you'd like to turn there with me tonight, I want to briefly talk to you about, uh, about remembering, how important it is to remember. The older you get, I promise you, you young adults, I promise you, you've got a mind right now that is like a computer, and you can pull up everything. It comes up out of those files just like that. There will be a day that someone in the great somewhere is pushing delete when you try to remember the things that you should remember the most, someone's going, delete, 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 or that little wheel is just spinning. That little wheel is just spinning. But, so enjoy that now when you've got that great memory. But how important is it for us to remember the goodness of God? Uh, wasn't it good to see Corey up here? All these guys do so, so well in our music, but uh, with a guitar. Thank you for doing that. I thought that was great. If any of you were at service this morning and heard Corey sing that great song, uh, you just thank the Lord for that because it was a blessing. We are down to the ninth chapter of uh, the book of Nehemiah. If you'll remember with me, I asked Jared to read Psalm 103, 1 to 5. And one of the verses in that passage was, forget not his benefits. Don't forget what God has done for you. You remember Israel many times going across the Jordan River, different places, God said, gather up stones, build up an altar of stones. And he called them stones of remembrance. So that when you walked by those stones in years to come and your children say, mom or dad, what do those stones mean? You can tell them what God was doing in Israel's life during that time. You and I need stones of remembrance. My wife uh, is great at decorating our home. We, we actually moved from Aubrey, Texas, here to Denton a few months ago. And so we don't have pictures on the wall yet. But she's just awesome about putting things where they go. And it really is, uh, it, it's a fun time. And, and it's a time that I, I remember. I remember when my little girl had pigtails and we played Candyland together. And those are great memories. And I remember when, when, when my son and I played, played basketball out in the yard and, and uh, I told them both that I could, outrun of the, I could outrun them backwards. And my son, he, he didn't want to take me up on that. My daughter said, okay. So we just lined up and I, I was, had boots on and I just said, I'm going to outrun her backwards. And I made two, two uh, giant leaps backwards and I just plowed the ground of our front yard. She's 27 years old. She's still laughing tonight about that, by the way. 
I love to remember. We often are nostalgic. Are you and your family? You like to pull out old things. You may not at your age right now, but as you get older, I think you will. You love to pull out old things and remember and tell the stories. Well, God does too. I want to bring you up to date in the book of Nehemiah. It was a dangerous time. God called them to return, restore, and rebuild, but there was an enemy. And the enemy said, you're not going to do it. Nehemiah said, yes, we're going to do it. They said, no, you're not. And Nehemiah said, yes, we are. And Nehemiah didn't raise his fist and say, I'm bigger than you, I'm tougher than you, and I will get it done. He relied upon God. Nehemiah is not a priest. He's not a preacher. He is not a, uh, a scribe. Ezra was a scribe that copied the law. Nehemiah is not. He was just a common man that God used him as a governor over the land during these days. I want to remind you of the seven different attacks that have happened so far in the book of Nehemiah. These same kind of attacks are against the church today. They always have been in church history, and they always will be. The first one was they tried to use the Bible against them. They tried to get them to break the law. One of the clearest examples in all the Scripture is Daniel in the book of Daniel. What did they try to get Daniel to do? Eat the king's meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And they said, you're not going to catch Daniel breaking the law, cheating somebody, lying, uh, hurting someone. You're going to have to find something against the law of his God. So they said, passed a law. Anybody that prays to anyone except the, 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 the king of the land is breaking the law. He'll be thrown in a, a, a den of lions. Daniel continued to pray three times a day, opened his window, turned toward Jerusalem, and he prayed toward the God of heaven. They threw him in the lion's den, and God caused the lions to have no appetite that day. Isn't that cool? So they tried to get Nehemiah to break the law so they could put him in jail, they could harm him. It didn't work. They tried to use tremendous anger. How many of you have heard this? The person who gets angry gets something done. Unfortunately, a lot of our world is kind of geared that way. You call someone respectfully on the phone, a utility company. I'm sorry if anybody works for any of those companies here tonight. But you call them and say, there's something must be wrong. My uh, telephone service has not worked for three months, and yet I've gotten a great big bill. Could you help me? And all of a sudden, sometimes there is this lion on the other end. What do you mean? <laughs> it's not working. And there's a tendency for us to escalate and get angry. And in fact, we're taught that a lot. If you are forceful and you project yourself and you raise your voice and escalate the situation, you can get something done. Shouldn't be that way. Shouldn't be that way. They tried to, with anger, scare them, but the Jews continued. They tried with terror. Terror is to make you afraid of something that could happen day or night to you or to your family if you don't stop what you're doing. We have domestic terrorists as well as terrorists around the world. We have terrorists that hate our country. We have terrorists that hate our church. But God's bigger than all of those things, and that terror didn't stop the Jewish people. They kept working. They tried to trick Nehemiah, and they tried to lure him in. Let's have a meeting together. And they tried to get him behind locked doors. What were they going to do if he, if he went with, their, with them? They were going to kill him. And they didn't trick him. They didn't trick him into a trap. 
They try to ruin his reputation with false charges. If you can't ruin the message, let's ruin the messenger. Could that ever happen? Yeah, they tried to accuse him of things that he wasn't guilty of. And God just didn't let that work. And he tried, they tried to get some of Nehemiah's close people to betray him. If you've ever had someone that you thought was truly your friend and they betrayed you, is that not a hurt that's like none other? When Jesus was betrayed by Judas and in John chapter 6, many of them walked no more with him, I think that was a different kind of hurt than a lot of other things that we can face. The ones who should love us the most, David said in the Psalms, if it had been my enemy, I could have stood it, but it was my friend. It was my guide. It was my equal. It is he who we went to, uh, to the sanctuary of God together. We took sweet counsel together. He it is that's lifted up his hand against me. The scripture prophesied about Jesus. He was wounded in the house of his friends. So betrayal is a tough one. But that didn't stop Nehemiah. It didn't stop the Jewish people from working. They worked with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other hand. That's a great illustration for you and me today. We need to have a trowel in our hand, working for the kingdom of God. Don't give up. Well, I've prayed for these people for a decade. Don't give up. We need to have a sword in our hand, the sword of the word of God to fight the good fight of faith. And then finally, they just tried to scare the Jews so badly that they would stop work. But God gave them strength over it all. And they built that wall around Jerusalem in 52 days in a magnificent victory from the Lord. In Nehemiah chapter 1, the chapter begins and it says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dirt upon them. Now that was a traditional sign of mourning or sometimes repentance. If someone uh, something had happened bad in Israel or in their life, they would actually take ashes and dirt and put upon them. Ashes were a reminder that we were all created from what? Dust. From dust we were created and to dust we'll return. And ashes were a symbol of that, that we are just dirt that God formed us out of. The sackcloth was usually made out of thick black goat's hair that was really rough. And it was meant to be a rough garment have you ever worn wool without an undershirt or something? Have you ever worn, and it itches and it scratches you? This was meant to be a rough garment, usually goat's hair, so that it would, every time it scratched them, it reminded them that they need to repent or to be sorrowful for what was going on. Very symbolic. There's a lot of people in the scripture that sat in sackcloth and ashes. Jacob did when they told, uh, told him that Joseph died. He tore his clothes, sat in sackcloth and ashes. Mordecai did. Uh, the people of Nineveh did. Uh, Job did. Ezra did. Daniel did. The two witnesses in Revelation. You can read about a lot of times. They tore their clothes in a symbol of sorrow. Oh, God, I'm sorry this is happening, or I'm sorry I've done this. And they would put dirt or ashes on top of their head. That's what they've done. The descendants of Israel, verse 2, separated themselves from all foreigners, and that's not a racial thing. It was talking about getting with God's people and those that were of the faith. And they stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in the place, their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God from a 
fourth of the day. Um, they stayed in church for six hours. Is anybody worried about that tonight? They said, Mike's preaching tonight, so I know it's going to be, be long. I'll, I'll try not to be. They stayed six hours. Three hours they were praising and worshiping and singing. Joel, three hours set. How's that, buddy? And three hours, Ezra opened up the word of God. Remember what they were on. They were on a pulpit made of wood, a great big stage. There were 14 men on that stage. Why do you think Ezra, who was going to be teaching out of the law, out of the word, why do you think he had those other 13 men with him? They were like the elders and deacons of the land. And they were standing up there saying, we're in one accord. We are not divided. We agree. And these words that we found written in the law of God, we are standing here with Ezra saying, we as Israel must do that. Isn't it great when men and women stand together on God's word? How good and how pleasant it is, the psalmist says, when brethren dwell together in unity. I love on Sunday mornings when Tommy will say something that's good, right, and true, and he does all the time, but something that one of those powerful statements, and the people just start clapping, just start clapping. I love it. That's what they're doing. They're standing there in solidarity, in unity, saying amen. Do you know what amen means? It means so be it. I agree with that. That's the way it is. Count me in. Put my name on it. Amen. By the way, it's okay to say amen. It's okay to do that. We're going to read a minute that they're going to raise their hands. Did you know that? It's okay to raise your hands in the Bible church. Did you know that? Look what it says. The descendants separated themselves. They, for the fourth part of the day, another fourth part, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Now, on the Levites' platform, it names all those men. I'll skip their names for time's sake. They cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. They mourned. They cried. They confessed their sins, and they worshiped God. In my life, I know some tough men. In my life, I know some tough women. Now, they may look genteel, and they may, may look ladylike, and they are prim and proper. But get in the way of her and her baby cubs, and you see mama bear. I love that. You and I as men of God and young people of God, we're supposed to be strong. That doesn't mean we don't cry. The strongest man that ever walked the face of the earth was named Jesus. And at the graveside of somebody he loved greatly, he wept. So there's a time to mourn and there's a time to confess. There's a time to cry. And notice what it says in verse 9. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Benai, the rest of those names, said, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And then they begin to preach a sermon. The Levites are going to teach. Remember, they were the helpers of the priest. They, in this time, were going to offer up the Scripture and what was going to be taught for the people to hear. I want to mention something. There's always a risk in teaching God's Word. To teach or to preach God's Word, someone doing that is taking a risk. They're taking a risk, first of all, that we handle this Bible very correctly. James says, let not many of you be teachers because they will receive a greater condemnation. We've got to be careful. I always love reading about Martin Luther who so respected God when he first served communion the first time. 
the history books say that he shook so badly he couldn't even serve communion in an awesome respect for being in the will of God. I remember the first time that I got up to be able to preach God's word in a church. Um, I spoke when I was a young teenager, but I got to preach at 19. Well, that's still a teenager. And I remember how fearful I was that I wouldn't say anything wrong. When young men stand up to preach today, I say, are you nervous? And they say, yes. And I say, good. Stay that way. Don't ever get not nervous when we're handling the precious word of God. So they are, are going to teach the word of God. You take a risk because you're handling the most precious, godly, wholesome, perfect words you ever have, have been. And we need to rightly divide the word of God, handling the word of truth. You take another risk. You don't know who all is going to be here. I know a lot of you people. I don't know all of you. I would love to meet you before you leave tonight. If you'll let me, I'll run back there to the, to the door. The only way that if you don't want to shake my hand or say hello, you got to run faster than I do, okay? And you can get out before I do. But I love you guys and I want to meet you. But, but I take a risk because I, what I'm going to say might offend you. Well, both of those risks, I want to tell you, as a teacher or preacher, are well worth it. They're well worth it so that this message can be shared with everyone. Um, this is a little aside. If you men come to the Wednesday morning Bible study with the men, I've asked all those men to write your life story. I don't care if you're 16, 60, or 90. Would you please write your life story? You can always add to it. Write your life story because you need to write it Every time that I've done that, and I've got one that I add to right now, I, I'm reminded of what God did for me. Over and over again, he did this and he did this. I have it divided up in sections, 6 to 16, 16 to 28, 28 in those years of my life. I'd give you a copy of it, anybody ever wanted it. But it, it's not over yet. I'd encourage you to write your life story because you need it. And you'll, I guarantee you, you'll thank God for so many things. But guess who else needs it? Your family needs it. Your friends need it. They need to hear and see what God's done in your life. So we need to remember. And the message tonight is about don't forget all his benefits. Don't forget how good God is. In a world that's messed up, but it's been messed up before. If you turn on the news, and especially if you're a young adult, and you think, wow, we don't have a lot to look forward to in the future. Yes, you do. The same God that got Daniel through his day, it was a pretty messed up world during that day, wasn't it? He'll get you through too. He got Ruth in a messed up world to a place of faith. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. He got Jesus sent as a little baby in a time when Israel was occupied by the, a superpower of foreign government. And God's, God can take care of all that. It's an exciting time to be a Christian. So you look forward to your life. We've got some people here. I won't point them out. I'll tell you afterwards. No, I won't. I won't. But they're about to get married. Isn't that an exciting time? It is. Seven months down the road, we're going to ask them how everything's going. And that's when we're going to have a prayer meeting for them. But no. Excited for those things that are ahead. But those of us, you might have been married or you might have been in the workforce. You might have gotten a little bit older. Do you remember? the good things God's done for you, that's what the Levites are about to do is they stand on that pulpit of wood. Quickly, he says, 
number one in verses five through six. Ezra wanted the Israelites to remember that God is their creator. We're living in a time that a man uh, many, many years ago went to the Galapagos Islands and he saw lizards and he saw animals and he saw all kinds of things on this, uh, this island. And he said, oh, I have a theory called evolution and I'm going to promote that. And uh, I can't prove it because there would have to be some species that are changing right now into another uh, species. And we all hear about the missing link. The missing link's never been found, by the way. But a lot of the world just swallowed that up. And right now, it's, uh, it's becoming popular to not believe in evolution. Did you know that? It's taken a while. But a lot of people just swallowed that, uh, that lie that we were not created from a loving, all-wise designer creator. Well, Ezra, in verses 5 through 6 there in the ninth chapter, says, Oh, may your glorious name be blessed, exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You've made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You gave life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. You are the Lord. Ezra and the rest of those Levites wanted the people of Israel to remember, we have a creator. You, do, you are not formed by a primordial ooze, that washed up on the beach out of the ocean one day and somehow metamorphosized, is that a word, uh, into another substance and all of a sudden you've become who you are with a unique fingerprint that no one else has, unique DNA that no one else has. You know why it's that way? Because you have a creator who designed you. You're a perfect creation that God has made. So verses five through six, they needed to remember that God was the creator, and we need to too. Our country knew that before in the Declaration of, of uh, Independence that we hold these truths to be self-evident. How many of you repeated that on, in your school growing up? Did you? Some of you did. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that, that uh, all men are created equal or endowed by their creator. Certain inalienable rights among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I did a devotion every sun, every morning that I didn't skip school, uh, my senior year, and we had a devotion, a prayer, pledged to our flag, and everybody was cool with it. We need to remember we've got a good creator, and he's our God, he's our Father. Number two, it's found in verse 7 to 8. You are the Lord God who chose Abram, brought him out of, the, of Ur from the Chaldees, gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you, made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, Perizzite, Jebusite, Girgashite, to give it to his descendants. And you have fulfilled your promise for you are righteous. Ezra and the Levites wanted Israel to remember God made a promise with Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham, Israel, don't forget it. God keeps his word. My parents were kind of older when I was born. You can probably tell that old-fashioned in some ways. But there were five of us siblings, three boys and two girls, and we could say a lot of things in our household. But if we ever said to one another in the family, I promise you, it had to be true. 
Now, we could tell all kinds of whoppers, and we could tell all kinds of things, but if we said, I promise you, and to this day, if I said to one of my brothers or sister, I promise you, they know that I'm telling the best that I can, this is true. That's the way our parents raised us. Well, the Levites are making Israel understand in verse 7 through 8, God promises. God keeps his word. And he promised Abraham, I want to give you land, seed, and blessing. He keeps his word. Uh, you and I need to hold on to the promises of God. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Is that not a good one to hold on to? When life slaps you around and hits you and, and troubles come and, and, and panic attacks and anxiety and fears and troubles and, and struggles of all kinds, Jesus said, I'm right here with you. I'll never leave you. I promise you, I'll be faithful. I'm not going to run out on you. God's made promises to us too. And you and I need to remember those things. The Feast of Purim in Ezra 9. You know what it was made for? The Feast of Purim was a, a feast of remembrance. Remember what God has done. All throughout the Old Testament, no matter how rich or how poor, wherever Israel was at, in the land or in captivity, God told Israel, stop on this day of the month for this number of days and celebrate what I've done. You and I are entering into what we call the holiday season. Holy day, that's where that word comes from. And I pray that it'll be a great time for you. I'm gonna to try to do a series through the, 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 the uh, weeks of December and, and January, the early part of January, on the Christmas story. And, and look at it in depth about the characters of that Christmas story and, and what the, that message means to you and me here today. We need to remember. I was told the other day, young people don't want to remember the history of the United States. I don't believe that. I believe our young people do want to remember the past and they want to look forward to the future. We don't need to take a few that are on social media or a few that are speaking louder than everybody else and try to lump everyone into that group. I spent some time with some of the Gap young people this week and Holly and I get to feed some of them in our home every week. They are quality young men and women. I want to tell you, they are great. We need to remember that God keeps his promises. And the, we, you and I that work with other people, we need to remind them, Mac, you need to remind, don't you, that God keeps his word. Those young ladies that you work with need to see in your life, and they do. I heard a testimony about you this week. Sorry to put you on the spot. It's just everybody all over the country listening right now. But I heard a testimony about how faithful you are that they've seen you year after year. And they can trust the word that you say. And that's what God's doing here through Ezra and those Levites. Reminding them, God keeps his word. And those young ladies are looking up to you because they know that you're solid and you'll tell them the truth. You and I need to take time to remember what God has done. Number three is found in uh, verses 9 to 12. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. Then you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, the people of the land. For you knew that they had acted arrogantly toward them and made a name for yourself as it is this day. You divided the sea before them. Wouldn't that have been cool to watch the, the Red Sea part right in front of your eyes? So they passed through the midst of the sea on dry ground. Their pursuers you hurled into the depths like a stone into raging waters. And with a pillar of cloud, you led them by day, a pillar of fire by night, 
to, to light for them the way in which they were to go. Verses 9 to 12, Ezra and the Levites said, Don't you remember God delivered you from Egypt? I had a man come to the church that I pastored a long time ago, and he came, and he had been a drug addict. He had been so mixed up in the drug culture in our town. Everyone knew what he was. He was a, a violent man. He was enslaved by that addiction. But he came to church just like everybody else that we welcomed to hear the gospel of Jesus, and that man got saved. And now it's been decades that he's no longer a part of that drug culture. God delivered him from that. He took him out of the bondage of Egypt, literally, and delivered him. But does that man need to remember where God brought him from? He does, doesn't he? He needs to remember so he can thank God and he can tell others. He can now speak into other people's lives. Someone says, you don't know what I'm going through. I have these desires and I'm, in, I, I, I'm bound. I've got, got these chains around me and this addiction so strong. And this guy can say, yes, I do know. But I'm here to tell you God's stronger. He's a way maker. He's a chain breaker. It's a good song, isn't it? And that's what we need to remember. We need to tell others. You may say, well, you're not talking to me tonight. I've never been a drug addict. I've never had this. We all have something, though, don't we? Don't we all have something we struggle with? And we need to remember how good our God is. He loves us. He's our creator. He's made a covenant with us, and he will deliver us. The next one's found, verses 13 through 18. I'll just read part of this quickly. Then you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from the heaven. You gave them just ordinances, true laws, good statutes, and commandments. Uh, look at verse 18. When they made for themselves a golden a calf of molten metal and said, This is your God who brought you up from uh, Egypt. The, the, they committed great blasphemies. You and your great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. We need to remember, they needed to remember that day that God sustained them in those months at Sinai, God took care of them. Now, those people were proud. They were stubborn. They wouldn't listen. They didn't remember. They didn't want to go back. They made idols. They blasphemed God, and many of us would have written them off. But it says God still had compassion on them. Anybody ever had a friend that turned out like that? They've said bad things against you. They've done bad things against you. It looks like they have spun off and would never return. That's what Israel did, and God said, but I still love you. He didn't love their sin. He didn't support them in their rebellion, but he still had his arms open wide. I love you in compassion. God sustained them. To sustain them means to take care of them. God sends rain on the just and the unjust, the scripture says. God gives us common grace when we don't deserve it even before we knew him. Before I came to know Christ, God was already taking care of me. I just didn't know it. And so Israel needed to know, you know who took care of you all that time when you were around Mount Sinai out in the wilderness? God did. You remember when you were ugly toward him and you didn't honor him and worship him? And who took care of you then? God still did. God still did. The fifth one, verses 20 and 21. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. Your manna did not withhold from their mouth. 
You gave them water for their thirst. Indeed, 40 years you provided for them in the wilderness, and they were not in want. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet swell. What a miracle. He allowed the clothes to just grow along with them. It didn't wear out. And, and uh, some of the clothes I get wear out in a couple of weeks. But God provided for them 40 years in the wilderness. You know where we're at right here on this earth? This world is not our home. I hope all of you have a nice place to go home tonight and lay down and have food to eat and rest, but don't get too comfortable because this world is not our home. I don't want to get emotional, but a man that sits right back there in one of the seats on Wednesday morning is my mentor. He's 25 years older than I am. Some of you are doing the math and you think he's old. He's a fine man. He's not a big man. He's not a loud man. When I came to Denton Bible, I looked and I said, I need a Paul in my life. And I watched how this man treated his wife. She's already in heaven now. I was honored to do her funeral and what a blessing that was. I saw the way he treated his wife. He's a former elder of Denton Bible. I saw the way other men were drawn to him for the wisdom that he gave. I saw his humility and yet his strength. I've been with him in the hospital when he was in extreme excruciating pain. And I've heard another elder who is one of his best friends after arriving in pain and screaming out because that pain was so excessive. His elder, other fellow elder friend says, well, how's your God now? And my mentor said, he is so good. He's just as good as he's always been. And I love him. Warren Nystrom is about to move down to where his daughter lives. And guys, you have to pray for me because I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss him. He's been a daddy in the faith to me. And he's reminded me how good. God is. God sustained them in verses 13 to 18. He took care of them. He did everything they needed in verses 20 and 21. The people, God for 40 years saw him do miracles to take care of them. The sixth one in verses 22 to 25. You also have given them kingdom and peoples and allotted them to them as a boundary. They took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, the land of Og, the king of Bashan, you made their sons numerous as the stars of heaven. You brought them into the land which you've told their fathers to enter and possess. So their sons entered and possessed the land that you subdued before them. The inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites, you gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land. You do with them as you desired. They captured fortified cities and a fertile land. Have you ever thought about that? Israel wasn't a mighty army. They were just shepherds. And yet they conquered mighty cities but one of the key things is that they need to remember god gave them the promised land he not only promised it to abraham i'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey but he kept his word and he gave them that promised land he gave them land kingdoms, sons children he gave them houses already built cisterns already dug wells already dug vineyards already planted fruit trees and olive trees and Ezra and those men on, the, on the, the stage that day said, don't forget, 
Don't forget all God's done for you. So tonight I encourage you. He's done all those things for you and me. He's our creator. He loves us. He's provided for us. He's sustained us. He keeps us safe from the enemy. He's given us a promised land. I want to tell you, living as a Christian is the only way to live. It's the most wonderful life. Are all the days good? No. But all the days turn out good because we've got a good God. Number seven, verses 26 through 31. But they became disobedient and rebelled against you and rebel and cast your law, their, your law behind their backs, killed your prophets who had admonished them so that they might return to you and they committed great blasphemies. And the rest of that going down to, to verse 31 is talking about after all the good things that God's done, all of those good things, they acted arrogantly and didn't listen, verse 29. But it says in verse 31, nevertheless, in your compassion, great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them. And if you ever have a parent that when you were acting up said, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. God could. He could. My son has a t-shirt. I love for him to wear it. Don't make me come down there, God. My dad in that station wagon with five children making too much noise going down the road. Don't make me stop this car. <laughs> and we knew exactly what he meant. Nevertheless, God in his great compassion. God kept them from a time of Judges to the Assyrian deportation. There were seven cycles of sin, you know, in the book of Judges. Sin, punishment, cry, deliverance. If you were God, would you have given up and said, they've gone too far, I'm tired of messing with them. Close the door. God could have done that. But it says, he's a gracious, verse 31, and compassionate God. Remember, Israel, Ezra and those Levites are saying, don't forget what God has done for you. And the last thing is verse 32 through 37, and we won't take time to go through all that. They needed to confess their sins. They needed to tell God the truth. Lord, I've failed. I've messed up. I don't know about you, but when you first came to know Christ, did you walk down an aisle at a church service? Did you talk to a pastor? Maybe your mom or your dad or your youth leader, did you talk to somebody and say, I've ruined my life. Could God forgive me? And they told you, yes, he could. And you prayed a prayer to receive Christ and you asked him to forgive you. That's what Ezra's saying. He gave an altar call. Anybody want to come home to God? Anybody want to repent? Anybody want to confess, get honest and do business with the Lord? That's what the last part of this is. You know, the Bible teaches us to confess regularly. We need to confess often. And my prayers for you, for this service, for this church, my family, and all the things that I pray for in that prayer, I say, Lord, would you please forgive me of all my sins, the sins that I know and the sins that I don't know that I've committed. And I thank you for your forgiveness that you bought and paid for on the blood of Calvary through your son, Jesus. It's good to confess. I was preaching here four years ago, I believe, one Sunday night, and a young 
lady got up and walked out of the room, and I thought I offended her somehow, probably. And after the service, she came up to him. She said, I'm sorry I didn't want you to think that I left, but you talked about getting things right and confessing where you need to confess. And she said, I had to go out into my car and get my cell phone, and I had to call my daddy and get things right with my daddy. That's what church is all about. That's what this passage is all about. Don't forget all of his benefits. God's good. God keeps his word. There was a time, if you take down notes, write down Jeremiah 27 to 9. Jeremiah 27 to 9. We're almost through tonight. But I want to challenge you. Do you need to remember what God's done for you? Go home, start tonight, and start writing your life story. He'll remind you of prayers that he's answered, things he's brought you through. And before you get through writing that in a few days, you're going to be so encouraged. And if you can't write that, come and talk to us tonight because Jesus can start your life story tonight. Jeremiah 20, verse 7 to 9. Jeremiah was given the call of God to preach to nations and kings. And he didn't have a positive message. Some people say, wasn't that a great uplifting message? Jeremiah didn't have one. His message to those kings was, if you do not turn and repent of your sins, God's going to judge you. They beat him. They put him in dungeon. There's a time when he was up to this in, his, in mire. I think that's a real calm word for what he was in. And there was a time Jeremiah got tired. David Carey and the ministry, do we ever get tired? We do sometimes, don't we? Jeremiah got tired, and he said these words. I'll not make mention of him anymore. I'm just not going to talk about God anymore. It's cost me too much. It's hurt me too much. I can't take it anymore. And the Bible says, but when I was quiet, it was like a fire that was shut up in my bones, burning from the inside. And he said, I couldn't hold it back. I hear of preachers and church leaders burning out in the ministry. We need to burn in in the ministry. And you just keep on going because God will give you strength to go through it. Remember. Go home tonight when you say your prayers. Remember. Forget not all his benefits. Remember what God's done. Write it down. Tell somebody else. Do you remember when God answered that? Remember what God told us. Remember the promises he made to us. And I promise you, it'll be a blessing to you. Not long ago, I was remembering something that happened 22 years ago. Some men of our church were working out. They were brick masons, and they did beautiful artwork. They did the front of our church. It was just beautiful with native rock. They would go out in the pastures and gather up rocks, put them on trailers, and then they would go and they would... They would do all kinds of houses and buildings and just do beautiful artistic masonry work, very skilled craftsmen. They were out gathering up one day a lot of the native rock, and uh, these men knew how to handle equipment. They had done it all their lives. But this day, one of, the, one of my friends, a man of the church, was taking a little bobcat. A bobcat's a little tractor with a bucket. Many of you 
know what that is, I use it in landscaping. And he just quickly, without tying off with a chain, he quickly lifted up the tongue of a trailer, the part that hooks on the back of your pickup. He lifted up the tongue of a tra trailer to raise it with that bucket so that the rocks would fall off the trailer and he would just unload it quickly. And when he did, the tongue of that trailer slipped off that bucket and it lunged forward and it hit him right here in the chest. There was an 18-year-old boy there along with those other men. I got the man's wife and got her as quickly as I could. He had already passed away. That man's home in heaven. And there's another story I'll tell you sometime about that. You remind me. It was a miracle. But there was an 18-year-old boy there that saw that. And he was a part of our church too. And he was a football player. And he was just a, a quiet young man. And I hugged him and put my arms around him. I said, Jeremy, I want you to know you were here for a reason. God lets you see that for a reason, and he loves you. If you want to talk in any way, and I tried to visit with him often and pray with him, but I said, you were here for a good reason, and God has a work to do in your life. 22 years ago, I was thinking about that day, remembering, and the phone rang this week, and the voice said, Mr. Spencer, this is Jeremy. I said, oh, Jeremy, it's so good to hear your voice. Haven't talked to him in all those years. So good to hear your voice. How are you? I'm doing okay. And I said, well, it's so good to hear from you. Remember I told you God was going to do something in your life? I, you were there for a purpose. I can't help but think about that day you were there. And he said, that's what I want to talk to you about. He's 40 years old today. And he said, Mr. Spencer, I'm not sure that if I died, I'd be with Jesus. I said, Jeremy, do you want to be sure? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, do you love Jesus? Do you believe it out on the cross for you? Do you believe God's word that says that if you call upon his name, you'll be saved? Jeremy, do you want Jesus in your life? And he said, yes, sir, I do. And on that telephone, we prayed a simple prayer, and he repeated that, asking Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. Twenty two years later God keeps his word don't give up praying for those people don't give up serving I know you're tired I know when we look at the world we get discouraged don't get discouraged those of you who got little children you got the greatest ministry on the planet train them up in the way they should grow T teach them about Jesus be an example to them and you'll watch them rise up and call you blessed because you told him about Jesus. Men and women, I just want to encourage you this week. Would you remember how good of a creator we have? Would you remember the good things he's done for you? And as you remember that, you tell somebody else. Because that man named Jimmy a long time ago that had that trailer hit him right here in the chest, he went home. But it was 22 years later for a witness saw that that day for him to come to know his Lord and Savior too. I don't know if God lets it. The Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. Amen? I wonder if Jimmy's rejoicing right now because Jeremy is a brother in Christ. Are you here tonight? You need to remember? Need to go tell somebody? Or maybe you're not sure.
that if tonight was your last night, you'd be with Jesus forever. There's nothing more important than that. I'll meet you right down here in a moment if you want to pray. Father, we ask you to hear our prayers tonight. I thank you for Ezra and those Levites. I thank you for those men that stood on that pulpit. They stood in solidarity. I thank you for Ezra that opened up the Bible that had been hidden and lost for so many years. And they opened it up and saw your requirements and they wept. Oh, Lord, we have not obeyed you. We've not followed you. But God, forgive us. Can we start over? And God, we thank you that you promised Abraham and you keep your promise. You have sustained us and you have fed us and clothed us and protected us just like you did Israel. And as they are returning, restoring and rebuilding your temple and your wall and that city of Jerusalem, Lord, we are right now in this world watching you build your kingdom. Have mercy on us where we failed you. Lord, start with me. I pray, Lord, that I will treat everyone exactly the way you want me to treat them, no matter what it costs me. And I pray that I would honor and worship you and love you, Father, no matter what it costs. And that when I stand before you one day and I see my Savior, Jesus, I could go home and hear those wonderful words, well done. Lord, if there's somebody here tonight that's not saved, would you convict them? Would you grab a hold of their heart? And would you let them not be able to leave this room without confessing Jesus as their Lord? And we'll pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.